international broadcasting lives on 5085. The big one. WTWW. Greetings from the Digicom Cafe on February 1st, the first February of the decade. I'm Denny J, your host here in the Digicom Cafe for another episode of Radio on the Rocks. Today was a beautiful day. Temperature was near 60, sunny skies. It's so good to see that gray sky, damp weather leave us. It's been like three, four days. Most of the week has been uh, pretty lousy weather. But we are blessed with a wonderful weekend. Tomorrow's going to be in the 70s even for Super Bowl Sunday. We were gone a good portion of the day. Got home uh, mid-afternoon. And I started working on a project helping provide some information for uh, a friend on how to get a DMR bridge from All Star to the TGIF network. I had planned on going out to work at least one pass of AO91 today. I was so busy working on my project that I totally forgot about it until about halfway through. So uh, when I checked my watch and saw it, I thought, oh my. I grabbed my aero antenna and my radio bag and headed outdoors and caught half of the pass anyway, which resulted in my interview for the day. You will hear that in the beginning, the intro to this uh, My Favorite Pastime of AO91. You will hear N5HYP in the intro on this segment and also several times throughout uh, half of the past that I got recorded. And I ended up sending him an email as usual and he responded and became my guest for the day. So stand by for My Favorite Pastime, followed by my QSO with Thomas, N5HYP of Irving, Texas. Here in the Digicom Cafe Communications Network, we are all about the power of voice. Did you know that you could listen to my Cafe Cast by simply asking Alexa to play Radio on the Rocks? And that you could maneuver your way around my Cafe Cast library by simply saying next or previous? I created this Amazon skill using a free and easy platform called VoiceFlow, where you just build your skill block by block, no coding necessary. If you'd like to build your amateur radio skill, go to VoiceFlow.com. That's VoiceFlow.com. Each one is different. A different day, a different time, a different elevation, different conditions, different users using different gear. What am I talking about? Amateur radio satellites. Hi, I'm Denny, and my ham call sign is K5DCC. That's Kilo 5 Delta Charlie Charlie, as they hear me on the bird. And now, stand by for my favorite pastime. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. November 6, November Uniform Golf, Delta Black 12, San Diego. November 6, NUG in San Diego, from N5HYP at Bottom Out of Story. Say hi, everybody. Hi. It's AO91. Delta. 
<laughs> that was crazy. Oh, no getting into that mess. <laughs> uh, that was kind of fun listening to that crowd of people cheering in the background. Must have been a, a good demonstration going on. Welcome everybody. This is uh, Saturday, February 1st, and it's a beautiful day out. It's uh, one o'clock almost. Temperature here in northern Arkansas is 55 degrees. A little bit of a breeze. I missed the beginning of it. I was too busy with some other things in the shack. Setting up a uh, DMR to All-Star Bridge. So I ran out real quick and I happened to catch this uh, exciting pass of AO91, the last half. They had uh, an interesting fellow out there, N5HYP. Uh, sounded like he was doing a demonstration before a large crowd and had them cheering along. So uh, that's what you heard here at the beginning of the podcast in uh, the intro. Look, up in the sky. <laughs> Hello, Tom, N5HYP, K5DCC here. How are you doing today? K5DCC, good Good afternoon and nice to uh, meet you. I'm glad you glad you heard me. I, it was a mess. <laughs> it's normally a mess on Saturdays. Oh. And, um, uh, <laughs> and um, I had power line noise, too, so it was difficult for me to hear people, yeah. even in on a pass that should have been fairly fairly decent so um oh well when you hear this uh little episode here i have one segment of the past at least half of it i uh, was busy doing some other stuff i was actually instructing someone on how to bridge dmr to an all-star node and all of a sudden i realized oh no i'm missing 91 so i grabbed my antenna and ran out there and uh you're one of the biggest biggest ones i heard you were working quite a few guys and you were coming through loud and clear well, good. I could only hear myself part of the time. That was part of the problem. Yeah. Um, just, like I said, a lot of noise. This was a non-scout event. This was kind of sort of a, well, let's see what happens here. It kind of kind of bloomed late in, um, in my ham career. I've been licensed since 85. And um, back in about 2007, I really only barely heard of Jamboree on the air. And it is kind of one of the best kept secrets in scouting, unfortunately. Our club got asked if they would uh, host a jamboree on the air for at least one collection of uh, Boy Scouts, and so I said, "Okay." So we ended up with them over at my house, and we made some made some contacts, and that was kind of fun. And actually, there was a young lady there who was not one of the Boy Scouts at the time; she was just the daughter of the mom. She was actually more verbal on the mic than any of the other guys, so that was a whole lot of fun. And then the next year, Irving, Texas, is, which is where I live, um, is the headquarters for uh, BSA, or now it's called Scouts America. And um, so we had an opportunity to do a Jamboree on the Air event from uh, their front yard uh, at their building. It wasn't horribly well attended because there wasn't a lot of promotion, but um, it was still a lot of fun. But then that caught the interest of the neighbors at the time, which was the National Scouting Museum. Uh, which no longer exists in Irving anymore, but that's another story. And they asked if we would do a Jota, and they also asked if we would try to set up a um, amateur radio on the International Space Station contact, uh, which we did. We had several hundred scouts through the museum that day learning about radio and trying to participate in an ARIS contact. 
It was unfortunately an unsuccessful Eris contact because of the some problems with the uh, Telebridge station. But that really got me hooked. I also had developed an interest at about that same time for um, uh, amateur radio satellite stuff, AMSAT. Uh, the uh, late Keith Pugh, W5IU, uh, was the uh, Eris mentor for that particular contact because he was also here in the TFW area. And, and he got my whistle wet saying, hey, you know, I can do the satellite thing, too. It's <laughs> a lot of fun. And so uh, in 2010, I picked up, uh, I started, I picked up an arrow and started working uh, SO-50 and AO-27 back then. I also, at that point, got involved with doing leading radio merit badge and eventually electronics merit badge classes at the museum. And so that was a whole lot of fun. And we did that for seven, eight years till scouting decided they uh, couldn't afford the museum anymore as is. So they moved it out to the Philmont Scout Ranch. And I lost my very easy venue to do all that stuff. So uh. since then, it's been a little bit hard to crack the nut, as it were. We have done some merit badge classes for a uh, local scout district as well as for circle 10 the local council down at their camp wisdom in, in uh, south dallas but that hasn't been as frequent at all as i would have liked so and you're curious ed page you've been in satellite communications since 2010 so you've seen a lot in that period of time haven't you yeah you know we've we've we got pretty lean for our number of functional satellites in the uh 2012 through 2015, like four or five of them in 2011 alone. Wow. And didn't have any of the new Fox launches or any of the Chinese satellite launches until 2015. So it was pretty lean then. It has picked up now. We're hoping that Husky Sat 1, which just got released from the Cygnus cargo ship that just left the ISS a couple of days ago, will get used by University of Washington for a couple of months, and then they'll turn the transponder that we provided, I am set provided, I shouldn't, we, because I'm a part of it, and I'm a part, I'm a part of AMSAT's promotional team called the AMSAT Ambassadors Program. Uh, so I always like throwing satellite stuff in with working with kids, because there is kind of a wow factor there. It's a little, it was a little harder today because I didn't have the lead-in time to explain how radio works to any of these kids that came up for either of the passes. And I showed them pictures. I, I got a picture of a Girl Scout um, holding the Fox 1 engineering model uh, from last year at, uh, at an event in um, Dallas that um, I had access to that model for. And so I show them that and show them what a CubeSat is and talk a little bit. And I get about two minutes and then we get to do the contact. And so pretty much I just try to get them to say hi because that gets them involved. Rather have them doing something than just standing there staring. Right. What was the age span of these kids? These kids were all in grade school. Uh, probably the highest would have been seventh grade. And there weren't that many of them there. I think I had five or six plus their parents um, at that last AO91 pass. But it's a lot of fun. You get to explain it. Some of, a couple of kids get really excited about looking at, at the, the track of the satellite on the app. And I was having a follow along on a grid square map. I'd say, okay, DM13, or that's out in Arizona, or DM03 San Diego, uh, CN97, which was up near the Seattle area. They got kind of impressed with that. That was kind of cool. Ooh, wow, you're talking from here to yeah. here to here. Um, so that's kind of the wow factor. And Would you say that satellites is probably the best way to get young people interested in our hobby? Well, not necessarily, uh, but it is 
a good one. I mean, different kids are going to get clicked with different things. Right. Um, you know, the, the digital modes kind of work, although I really, personally, I'm not a big fan of using like FT8 or something like that as a intro to satellites because ultimately after you make your first couple of contacts, it's a robot thing. Interaction is what will get youth involved. They're used to interaction. I've, I've never met Pat <coughs> Stoddard, but um, WD9EWK, but we've chatted a number of times. He's been in, uh, a mentor via email on several things for me, and, and that's really cool. Um, you know, I, I know I know people's names, and it's just kind of fun to hear them. I like showing kids PSK31 because they're used to this keyboard, keyboard stuff. And you do get a chance to interact. You do get a yes. chance to find out a few things. And they're more experienced with doing that than on a microphone. But getting them on a microphone like on an HF contact, like we contacts like we did for the usually do for radio merit badge classes, is cool. Oh, I got a great story. We were doing this last radio merit badge class, and I heard a guy who had a six call, so I, but I broke into his conversation with somebody else. He had a good, strong signal. Wanted to see if he would be willing to talk to some scouts. He said, sure. But he said, I'm not in California. I'm in Virginia. I went, okay, well, that's fine. And as we got talking and as he talked to the kids, and then I kind of broke in a little bit and chatted some, found out that he knows people that I work with because he was the retired head of video production for uh, Liberty University, and several of my co-workers are ex-employees of Liberty University, and so and this scout, this kid is just sitting next to me with his eyes getting real wide because I'm, I'm saying, I don't know this guy, but yet I know this guy. We have a commonality, and it turns out we have more than that. We know people. Uh, cool. And it was totally random. His uh, mom emailed me back after the class and said, you know, he said, that was the coolest merit badge class I've ever took. Hmm. So um, yeah. anyway, I, I think it's kind of fun. Now, I don't consider myself to be a, an expert, and nor do I consider myself to be a real uh, pro at this. I'll tell you, if people are interested in getting involved with radio scouting, they should check out Jim Wilson's K2BSA dot net website jim is the national uh radio scouting coordinator here in the united states um he's also part of the uh world world radio scouting council uh he has he, he um led the uh uh world jamboree radio scouting event this last summer um his website k2bsa.net has a lot of good resources for hams who are interested into radio scouting and interfacing with, with scout groups. Uh, they've got sample uh, radio merit badge presentations or actually full slide decks you can download. He also has extensive information on Jamboree on the Air. And it's not always easy to get in with local scout groups. It, it, there's a lot of politics and all that. But um, if you can and if you can start uh, getting the word out that um, this amateur radio thing, especially Jamboree in the Air, is a lot of fun. You can uh, start to get some some inroads. There are things that, especially if you make it a regular occurrence, that you need to do, which is um, you need to apply to be an adult volunteer with your local district or whatever. And you should also, there's another form to fill out that um, registers you as a merit badge counselor if that is something that you want to do. So they have a record of that. you got to redo that application every stinking year. But it is a good thing because it does um, help 
the uh, council and the the district uh, and the local troops know that you are actually serious about wanting to, as an as an outside person, come in and and teach them stuff. Well, now you were talking earlier too about being an ambassador for AMSAT. Is that an official capacity, or can anybody do that? I'd I'd love to be an ambassador for. AMSAT in particular, but uh, right now I feel like I'm an ambassador for ham radio with my podcast and my Digicom Cafe. It's just a bunch of people that like to promote what AMSAT's doing, and it's a it's volunteer title. It means nothing, but <laughs> it does mean some. It does mean something in that AMSAT only grows as an organization by recruiting members and getting people interested in what's going on with amateur radio in space because AMSAT memberships help support you know, the ongoing uh, development projects like the Gulf Satellite Program, which is in development process now. Of course, go to the amsat.org website, go to the store and buy stuff. Yeah. Here's the catch-22 of this whole thing. The AO-91 and 92s are so crowded already, I almost feel guilty bringing more people in. Then there's the linear satellites. I actually made my one winter field day contact for the 1,500 points on AO-7. Um, I have an FP-847. Um, the linear satellites are so much more accessible now with the IC-9700 as the uh, kind of the VHF-UHF satellite-ready radio that ICOM makes. I'm, I don't own one. Um, I have this 847, which is a late 1990s yeah. vintage radio. Yeah. But it's a great satellite rig. You could, link, you could do two. Those are going to be less expensive now because there have been a lot of them offloaded onto the market. Yeah. And it's a great satellite radio, and I just use it with my arrow. I have my oh, arrow okay. on a tripod. Yeah. I have my arrow on a tripod, and um, I do use, even though I'm using two separate antennas, I do use a diplexer in the front of each side of the radio to help, especially on two meters up and 70 centimeter down, to help get rid of descents on the 70 centimeter side. Now you talk um, about preamp. Do you really need a preamp for the uh, linears? Uh, with well, with the 847, I think you do on 70 centimeter down lengths. You don't really need it for two meters, but it does kind of help. Um, yeah, and it just might get you a couple more seconds of usable usable signal on the bottom end of the thing. But I just like having a little more. I like seeing my meter actually move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose those signals but, are pretty weak, aren't they? Well, they are. It's a weak signal mode, satellite is, but not as weak as EME. That, But also the other cool part is you don't have to run 1,500 watts to work over the horizon right. um, and VHF, UHF. Five watt into, uh, into a beam antenna like an arrow, even on a linear transponder satellite, will uh, do real well. The Chinese CAS-4A and CAS-4B satellites have really nice, strong transponders you can pretty much hear them horizon to horizon and they have good sensitive receivers so yeah only a couple watts so you don't have to um invest a arm and leg and a big linear to work satellite in, well you, you sure don't uh, have to work to work the fm birds i've got two uv82s and the aero antenna and man i just bang in there it's just amazing well great story about um back last year my daughter and son-in-law in boston graduated from college and uh grad school law school and so we went up for that and holly and i my wife uh took a uh, 
side trip up into the main coast. And so I got out on a pier by a lighthouse and with my five watts and my arrow, 91 or one of those two, 92 was was only a couple degrees off the horizon. So basically way out, way out over the Atlantic. And I brought it up. Um, I didn't get anybody on the other end because there wasn't enough land touch yeah. <laughs> on, the other, on the other side. But I could bring it up. And um, so, no. Um, actually, I, I have a recommendation for people who want to get into it. Don't try to learn it on a Saturday yeah. or Sunday. It doesn't work. No. I tell them, do an, a late-night West Coast pass. Do West Coast passes for sure, and do late night passes because there just aren't as many people on. Right, and um, that's your that's your good way to learn to be able to hear yourself and then um, be able to uh, and and the linear transponders are sometimes fairly unoccupied. Period, um, and you have a lot of room to work there too. Right, so, right. Um, it's a it's a lot easier. You can actually have a, a real honest gosh QSO rather than just exchanging grid squares. Yeah. So, yeah. and I like real QSOs. I, yeah. I did log all my contacts initially back when I started in 2010, 2011, but um, I just got out of it and I just do it for fun. I mean, I know people get real serious about VUCC uh, satellite, but um, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, I log them for the ones that need it, but I don't, I don't even pay attention to what I've got and what I need. It's not important. Right now, I use no. it as this is a great pool of uh, material for me for interviews. And uh, speaking of which, uh, how long have you been at ham? How did you get into the hobby? Well, um, I got my license in 1985, but I'd had an interest since I was in uh, high school. Actually, I would say my first little interest, again, and this is why I kind of like to pay it back, my first interest in the concept of communications radio was when I was a Cub Scout. And some guy did a CB demonstration. Well, that's fine, CB. But I was always interested in, I mean, actually, I was interested in commercial radio and commercial broadcasting. I'm 63 years old. I was interested from when I was five. My first career goal was to be a television weatherman. Well, that wasn't going to work out. But um, I have actually spent the last 43 years of my career in the technical side of television. Um, I'm a operations engineering and uh, a tech person for Trinity Broadcasting facility here in, in the Dallas area. Really? And, um, I've been in TV for, for all that time, got to do a lot of neat things and see a lot of neat things. And it's a continual learning <clears throat> process as the uh, technology continues to evolve rapidly these days. You are a person uh, of faith, I take it, right? You betcha. Well, I it, it would be kind of hard to work for an organization that preaches, <laughs> yeah. the, preaches the gospel and not, although right. I'm sure there are people that do. How did you come to faith? I, I got to credit my Catholic upbringing to give me a really good sense of who, who God is and what the gospel was, uh, but um, it wasn't really something that meant anything personal to me until I kind of got into uh, high school started um, uh, chumming with some friends who uh, came at <clears throat> religion from a different perspective. <laughs> but I went, oh, this is kind of interesting. I can't tell you when I came, when, when, when I accepted Jesus. I can't tell you exactly when that was. But I know several things had influence. But then I still was kind of marginal with it until I got into college and had some more friends who had strong relationships with Jesus. And that really got me 
thinking got me reading scripture more in depth and, and coming to realize that, yeah, this is truth. This is this is good. You don't have to check your brain to be a believer in Jesus. Would you say that your faith in Jesus Christ, it really affects who you are in amateur radio, the kind of person you are, and, and really is what's behind your reaching out and and trying to help kids and introduce them to our well, hobby? I, I struggle with the, the fact that it's really easy for me to talk about this stuff. It's sometimes way too hard for me to talk to people about stuff that has eternal importance, right. uh, which is you know, our relationship with Christ. So I struggle with that some, because yep. it's very easy for me to spend an hour talking about how this hobby works and right. how communications works. But do find myself with with that quandary in mind. I don't want to get, become overly engrossed in the hobby. It's it's fun. It's a hobby. It's something I do, you know, when I have time. But my wife's important. My kids are important. My um, involvement with with my church is important. The uh, relationship I have with Jesus is of utmost importance. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Um, you know, you get the good stuff by taking the time to do uh, the things that God wants. Right. Well, look at it this way. As, as you were expressing your thoughts, this thought came to my mind. You know, we're all about communications, using yep. our voice. And just think. It's the God of the universe that communicated to us his love through Jesus Christ. That is, and, and that's what makes us who we are. Well, and that's the unique thing about biblical Christianity. Is it is the only worldview that says the God of the universe who created you wants to have a relationship with you. In every other worldview, you have to strive to attain worthiness of their deity. Right. Uh, but in biblical Christianity, well... Even well, even biblical Judaism, it's the God who wants to have a relationship with us, but he'll let us fool along on our own free will. We miss the good stuff. Yeah. And that the good stuff is what the Lord has for us. You're most happy when you know that you are where you're supposed to be. You know, I've tried to leave TBN multiple times, find other employment and stuff, and God hadn't let me. <laughs> yeah. So and despite the fact that it's still a job and you still have to deal with people at times and people are people and things get weird. Um, I kind of know that that's where I'm supposed to be. What's kind of cool is um, Paul Crouch founded Trinity Broadcasting in 1973. In 1975 um, was the beginning of the geosynchronous commercial satellite industry for cable distribution. Um, Paul hopped onto that immediately. Um, TBN was on uh, Hughes Galaxy 1 from 1976 on, um, one of the earliest uh, national broadcasters to uh, be doing national distribution of their signals via geostationary uh, satellite, and have uh, we have, of course, been there since, and TBN has satellite delivery footprints through DBS and other uh, platforms virtually around the world now. So here we you go know, with satellites again, huh? Here we go with satellites again. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. Yeah, satellites are a cool way to um, get a one-to-many connection. What are your thoughts on this new Starlink system that uh, Elon Musk is putting up with SpaceX? Well, I'll tell you. Eventually, we're going to have some collisions. I think they want to put it uh, like below the orbit of the ISS 
so that some of them are, are, are having decaying orbits. But it's going to be, they're going to have collisions. It's just inevitable that's going to happen. And right now, the uh, amount of junk that's up there is uh, growing. And um, uh, There's half a, half a million pieces of space junk, I understand, right now. Uh, yeah. Um, even low Earth orbit is big. So there's a lot of distance between a lot of them, uh, but it's going to become more of a problem. But and that's why the FCC in the United States, uh, FCC and other world, the ITU even, is pushing deorbit capabilities into uh, satellites and even cubesats. They're trying to force uh, deorbit capabilities into uh, cubesats. And AMSATs, of course, arguing, well, fine, you you got to do that, but it's making them cost prohibitive for the. Right. Uh, um, for the average uh, private organization like us or even universities and such to uh, be able to afford. But I think the attraction is still going to be there. But, yes, uh, Starlink and some of the other companies that are looking to do uh, uh, multiple thousand cluster constellations of um, satellites for Internet delivery, that's eh, going to cause some problems down the road. Yeah, well, they're talking of uh, making, I think, putting up 45,000 when they're done. That's going to take years to yeah. get there, but... That's unbelievable. Well, yeah, well, it'll take a number of years, but yes, that will greatly. Right now, NORAD, well, NORAD's catalog numbers of of items that they publicly catalog are only in the 40, 45,000 range, but, you know, some of them, those catalog numbers have already decayed and defunct, but yet... Active satellites and such, their catalog numbers up to 45,000, but they can track other pieces of material. Uh, there's a story, of course, that there's a DirecTV satellite that may be in danger of having battery explosions on it, so they're trying to figure out how they can put it in a mitigating orbit so that it won't cause as much problems uh, if they blow up a battery. And they got to do that by March before it gets into a eclipse season. Uh, wow. Because of the fact that once the satellite gets into shade, it will start using its batteries, and that's when they have a potential of explosion. So, which means um, you'd have a whole bunch of little pieces flying out there too, then, huh? Little pieces flying out, yes. And, and a little now, one could do quite a bit of damage to the ISS. Yeah, or to any any spacecraft. Uh, there were two satellites that had, uh, I think, I think they figured the closest approach was about two kilometers from each other the other day. Wow. Um, so it's uh, it's going to become more of an issue, but yeah. yet uh, still a still a challenging part of our hobby. And back to where we were before, a fun outreach uh, to other people. It's a lot well, of fun to work with. Wouldn't it be nice to have a geostationary satellite over North America? Yeah. Uh, yes, but um, the only way the Europeans and Africans and Western Asia folks got it was because. Um, um, some sultan from Qatar, when their folks were going to launch another communication satellite, agreed to let MSAT Germany host a transponder payload on board. So um, the Europeans have QO100, which um, is uh, geostationary over uh, Africa and has you know, 2.4 gigahertz up and 10 gigahertz down uh, linear transponder. Actually, has two transponders. Has um, a standard analog transponder, and it has a, a digital transponder that they can do uh, DATV and things like that on. So that's kind of cool. And, yes, it would be cool. It also would take some of the challenge away from it. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. That's I'm true. i a little bit. Yeah, I understand. 
I understand. When you can have a 24-7, what's the challenge? You just put up your dish and right. and, and it's HF all the time. But, but that's okay. I th- yeah. There was a hope several years ago that AMSAT had a, com- a concept of a hosted payload on a U.S. government satellite. But uh, that whole project, I think, fell through. Uh, not huh. AMSAT's fault, but just the whole government project right. kind of fell through. So we yeah. lost that opportunity. Yeah. Well, I've got some friends uh, in the satellite community on Twitter that have referred to what we do as a sport. And it really seems to be a sport. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes people aren't very sports-like on there either. No, 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 no. Especially on a single single transponder um, you know, FM repeater type. It's hard. I mean, yeah, yeah. I probably stomped on some people today. Because we all, I we all have. <laughs> because I couldn't hear them, which is, again my do full duplex yeah to yep. know when you're getting in to know when you're not to yep. know when you're ste- gonna step on somebody to know when it's clear um, right. i will admit i did half duplex for probably the first five years of my satellite career but i'm sure i stepped on some people unknowingly and right um, we all do you'll get to hear yourself in this uh, episode of radio on the rocks and you came through loud and clear often so uh, you'll feel good about it now, I'll tell you what I was running today. On the tripod was an Alaskan Arrow. The transmit side was a little TYT mobile rig. That's yeah. 8600 the $100 radio. Yeah. Um, that gives you 25 watts. The power source was uh, a Baimano um, LiPo battery. And the receiver was my um, Kenwood D72A. Well, uh, that's full duplex, isn't it? No, it is full duplex. You buy me, I could have done it myself. I do have an amplifier as well, but I decided to use the 25 watts off the little radio so I didn't have to hang a speaker off of the uh, T72. So that worked out pretty well. Well, you sounded great, and uh, I'm glad you agreed to this interview. You probably didn't have any idea it was going to be this long, but uh, I I just let them go, and whatever I get, I get, and it's always fascinating, and people are interested. Well, I'm hoping... hoping I didn't bore anybody. Not a bit. (laughs) Not a bit. I was thrilled. I don't. I'm just putting. I call it reality radio. So whatever I do, uh, I share it so, so people can stumble across it and think, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think I'd like to get into this. There's no way anybody's going to listen to every episode every day. I'm all about promoting others. I promote uh, different nets and groups, and if people that I interview have uh, pet projects that they uh, want to get the word out, that's what I'm all about. So, uh, what's your pet project? Well, just working with scouting, right? Well, that, um, I mean, right now, it's that, like I said, that's kind of intermittent hit and, hit and miss. But, you know, I really do enjoy the uh, AMSAT ambassador thing right now. Um, I represented AMSAT at the uh, Fort Worth Cowtown Ham Fest. Um, I will be uh, representing it at my own Irving Ham Fest in March. Um, I will be there with some other folks for... Um, Hamcom in Plano, Texas in June. I think I'm going to be uh, not able to go to uh, like Belton in Belton, Texas, which would be cool, but I think it's close enough to Houston that I would expect some of the Houston guys to be there. So um, that, that's probably my fun thing right now is, is, is promoting amateur radio in space. I do uh, a couple times a month. I run the local uh, DFW AMSAT net on the Arlington 147.14 repeater. The Metroplex is so stinking big. Oh, I hear that. That um, that you have to have a link repeater system to get across 
the whole thing. And right now sure. we're not on a link, on a link system. So, um, but that's something I'm actually trying to get the ear of some folks that do run a link system in the area sure. uh, to try and um, expand expand the reach of the AMSAT. There's always All Star. Yeah, well, that's true. But um, well, listen, Tom. Thank you very much for taking the time to uh, be my guest today and for sharing all this helpful information. Uh, I always learn something new whenever I interview somebody, and uh, you've provided me with a lot of new thoughts and ideas, and this whole idea of being an AMSAT ambassador is sticking foremost in my mind. I'd, I'd like to consider myself an AMSAT ambassador. Well, very good. Uh, the person you need to contact is uh, go to the AMSAT.org website and um, click on the uh, AMSAT officers thing and email Alan Bangston. He's the guy you want to talk to. Sounds good. It, it, doesn't take much you have it's like a a mini little application and off you go so i hope that um you get five minutes out of this it's it's worth it. <laughs> we'll get more than that we'll get more than that i'll tell you what we couldn't do this on a satellite <laughs> no uh, not yet not yet but again that geo got a couple million bucks to buy some transponder space we'll gladly uh, uh take that and we go from there N5HYP, this is K5DCC Echo Mike 36. K5DCC, N5HYP EM1273. <laughs> 73, thanks, Tom. Hi, this is Extra Class Amateur Radio Operator, K5DCC. I just upgraded to my Extra Class last year. You know how I did it? I used HamTest Online. Did you know that HamTest Online is the top rated study program on eham.net? 97% of reviewers gave them five stars. They have more five-star user reviews than all other study methods combined. And success is guaranteed. If you fail the amateur radio license exam, they will refund your subscription. It's a no-brainer. You pass the exam or get a full refund. Try it for yourself at hamtestonline.com. Look, up in the sky. 